Hi, my name's Sam Breakgear and welcome to Brains Bite Back. On this podcast, we discuss everything to do with psychology, technology, and society. Usually, we pick a theme or a topic and invite a guest on to speak. However, my guest today has covered so many areas of technology, and his work has been so successful that we couldn't pick one topic. He's a founder of the Call of Duty franchise, which he worked on for 13 years. He then moved to Rio de Janeiro and started his own VR technology company, Doghead Simulations, and he is now using VR technology to help victims of human trafficking and trauma, Chance Glasgow. And for our Weird Wide Web piece, we have a story from the UK covered by the BBC regarding a pledge by the UK's Labour Party for free internet broadband for everyone ahead of the upcoming election. I should probably um, as well just say beforehand, naturally, when I see your name, I say it like Chance. So I, I'm going to try that's, and like... That's okay. That's okay? No, I didn't... That's, that's totally fine. I, I trained jiu-jitsu with a guy from London that just started and he calls me Chance. <laughs> and I feel like I feel like I'm talking to a butler. <laughs> yeah, I thought... He like... kind of looks like Batman's butler. Or no, who is... Alfred? Batman. Is it Alfred? Not Alfred. I'm thinking. No, he he looks like a like a bigger version of the butler from Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Oh yeah, yeah. I can't remember his name, but I Jeffrey, know he's Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Yeah, yeah. That's it, Jeffrey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Chance. <laughs> that's yeah. I thought that. I was like, I have a lot of um conversations with Americans, and I'm always really conscious about that because like whenever I so there's been times when I've introduced myself and um, I realized the accent different even though my name is like obviously quite common in America sometimes I'll be like I'll be like hi my name's Sam and they're like Sam and I'm no no I'm like no no like Sam and then they're like, oh Sam, Sam. <laughs> so there's I get that there's um difference there so I'm never sure if I'm like offending someone by accidentally saying it in in my own British accent the, the one thing that I don't like is when people call me Chase like a completely different name yeah I can imagine. And that, that happens my whole life. Like, hey, Chase. It's like, no, it's not my name. I am a noun, not a verb. <laughs> I also think um, I should start off the show by thanking you as well, because I have to say that teenage me, when I was 17 years old, man, I was addicted to Modern Warfare. I love Modern Warfare 1 and 2. Those are my my favorites. So um, so thank you for your awesome. role in, in, uh, in bringing those to well, the world. 28-year-old me had a good time working on it, so thank you for supporting me in my late 20s. <laughs> That's no problem, no problem. I mean, I remember I loved it. I, my favorite map, I think, was Crash, and I think I remember I loved that one the most because... Yeah, I'm a Crash. I, um, I loved it on Modern Warfare 1, and then I bought the expansion packs from Modern Warfare 2, and that was, like, my favorite one. That was one of the motivations for buying the expansion packs, but I loved it. I don't know what happened to my brain chemistry, but I, I'm just not into gaming anymore. I, I don't... I still love it. Like, I love the idea of it, but I don't still get the same buzz. Might need to change it up, because I don't play a lot of shooters anymore. I play a lot of, you know, like, turn-based tactical strategy management games, stuff where I'm, I don't know, just solving problems and managing stuff rather than, you know, something very twitchy. Yeah. No, I get that. I get that. I think, yeah, taste changes over time, but certainly, yeah, I, 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 man, I bloody love that. I can't, I can't put into words how addicted I was. <laughs> but um, I suppose for our listeners that perhaps um, don't know, I'm, I'm pretty sure most of our listeners have probably heard of Call of Duty, but they might not know your, your role in that or how that came about or even who you are, perhaps. Would you be able to explain for our listeners um, who you are and your history in the tech industry? Who are you? That's so deep, man. <laughs> Who are you? Hey, answer that however you see fit. 
I'm a butterfly in the wind. No, um, I was born in Oklahoma, middle of America. Like, actually, when you open up Google Maps, it, I believe it still opens up on Tulsa, Oklahoma, because that's the closest big city in dead center America. Um, I, uh, through domestic changes, ended up moving to uh, Florida when I was about six and um, lived there all through high school, college, went to Full Sail University in Orlando, which was a school they got their start uh, doing recording arts, but then branched out into film and then digital media and then game design. And now they're basically every cool entertainment skill out there you can learn at Full Sail. And so I got a degree in computer animation there and I drove all the way out to LA to Los Angeles looking for work. I had a horrible time. I was there for a little over a month. Um, at one point for a couple of weeks, I was sleeping in the back of my 1988 Honda Accord, had my towels rolled up in the window to block the street lights so I could sleep at night. Ouch. <laughs> and, I, and, I'm, and I'm a six foot, or I'm 189 centimeters. Since mm -hmm. I'm six foot three, 189. That'll get it, that'll cover it. <laughs> so it's just very hard. You're a tall guy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I am 1.89 meters, that sounds weird, but it's true. And so yeah, tall guy in the back of an 88 Honda. Didn't find anything, started driving back to Florida. Stopped in Oklahoma again in Tulsa to see family and got an internship working on a game called Medal of Honor Allied Assault. And it was going to be, or it was the first PC entry in the Medal of Honor franchise. So that went well. Uh, I was interning for free for about a month and they hired me, got my first job in the industry. And we finished up Medal of Honor. And unfortunately, even though Medal of Honor was a great success, it was the highest rated Medal of Honor game in existence, we didn't like the guy we worked for. And so 22 of the 30 people, we just had a mass exodus and started Infinity Ward and eventually ended up hooking up with Activision and had to create a franchise that would compete with the Medal of Honor franchise. And so that's when 22 of us were up in a, about 30 stories high in this building in Tulsa, which is like basically, you know, Tulsa is about... I think the city is probably 300, 400,000 people. But there's this one, there's these three buildings that were built uh, in South Tulsa that just stick out like a sore thumb because everything there is one story. Then you have like a 60-story, a 40-story, and a 20-story building that was abandoned. It was actually built by this guy who had a vision of a 900-foot Jesus and decided he was going to build this giant building, like 900 feet tall, to help people with cancer and you know, faith type stuff. And I think it lasted like a year before they went bankrupt. And so now it's just full of sparsely filled with companies, you know, we're a weird place to start a company, but a cool place regardless. And yeah, that's how definitely easy to find, I guess as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get any meetings, just like look for the big Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't actually shaped like a big Jesus. That would be way more impressive. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm right. We're about the armpit, you know? No, it was not like Christ <laughs> the Redeemer in Rio with uh, elevators. That, that went way cooler. Oh, I get helicopter pads on the hands. Yeah. Yeah, so that's how Call of Duty got started. And then um, about half or about a year into working on that, maybe a little less than a year, we ended up moving out to Oka or to uh, L.A. because at the time it was pretty hard to convince game developers to move to Tulsa. Now people are more remote and a lot of people are kind of leaving the bigger expensive cities to go work in some of the more reasonable cities. But back then that just wasn't a thing <laughs> to go work in Tulsa remotely. 
so yeah that's that's how that got started awesome did you out of interest like i don't have any military background myself but i feel like it's a very immersive kind of like military kind of experience when you were creating like the call of duty franchise did you have any expertise or input from that kind of industry or did you speak to any kind of like soldiers or anyone from like the military yeah we had um when i was in medal of honor we had dale die who actually had a an am talk show that was out of la as well that would covered like history and some current affairs kind of like a less political like more of a military than a political focus you know show and that guy was kind of crazy but in a good way and then uh when we went to call of duty we got hank kiersey and hank is that guy is that guy's a character like hank is he's like a caricature of like a general you know like with a good sense of humor i, I can't really explain it i don't know if you ever met someone who's just military from when they were born up until their you know their entire life and they just have this very military outlook on everything <laughs> i have a stereotype in my head and i gotta say the name hank perfectly goes with that stereotype yeah like i don't know if you've ever seen um king of the hill uh yeah i know of it yeah i remember hank. seeing it when i was younger yeah yeah actually it was based off my seen beavis and butthead it was based off of hank <laughs> uh beavis and butthead what the hell are you doing kind of like that a little less dorpy i don't know if dorpy is a word but if it's dorpy makes it <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> where were we oh yeah so military advisors so we used Hank was more PR and, and marketing, you know, like he came in at first and gave us actual advice we applied to the game, but we'd done so many military titles that, you know, the last three or four I worked on, we barely used any sort of military advisor and the Call of Duty franchise started to go a little more out there as well. So less grounded. Out of interest, like, I mean, this went on to sell like hundreds of millions of copies. Did you have, do you, do you folks have any idea how um, successful this game would be you and your co-workers no we had no idea like we you know coming off of medal of honor i think it sold like two million on pc or something which is actually really good and then call of duty came out no one had heard of call of duty and so the first like three or four weeks the sales weren't that great but every week they increased where now with games like basically your first week is this giant spike of sales and this huge drop on the second week and so because it was a new franchise new ip word got around um this was still when like internet as a way to read about games was still kind of in its infancy. You know, people were using it in 2003, but most people were still going to magazines. And so when the reviews came out in the magazines, you know, just things just kept going and the multiplayer caught on. And so what happens every title, you know, that would maybe COD was, you know, like 4 million and then COD 2 was like 8. We just kind of ramped up each time. And then by the time we're at Modern Warfare 2, we we're beating Avatar at the box office. You know, there are all these celebrities that want to come to our studio and see how we're making Call of Duty. Yeah. So and, and the thing is, when you're working on games, people don't recognize you. It's not like you're an actor. You know, so it's not like you go on the street and people are like, hey, I love your game. Like, no one knows who I am unless they ask me. And then they get really excited, which is kind of nice because it's almost like the good parts of being known. You know, you don't have to be known unless you let yourself be known. Yeah, you don't have to go out in disguise or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, you can exactly. have your like, uh, like stealth mode whenever you want. <laughs> but it's interesting because like Call of Duty was just, it seems like that's just the start or the iceberg of like um, your experience in the tech industry. Your life took a very interesting turn and you moved to Rio de Janeiro and started your own VR company, Doghead Simulations. What inspired you to make this move to Brazil? and then take the leap into starting your own VR company? So I'd been back and forth to Brazil several times. Uh, the first time I was going to Rio as a guest speaker, um, it was kind of a connection through my university full sale, um, got me a speaking engagement out there. And then I made a lot of friends. Brazilians are super cool. 
Um, and I kept going out there for Call of Duty. I'd go to Sao Paulo to the Brazil game show. And, you know, a lot of people, like, at least in the United States, they all they hear is about negative, you know, violence and stuff about Brazil. And they're just so scared to go there. They think, oh, if I go outside, I'm going to get stabbed or something. And in general, like, as, you know, someone who lives in Colombia, which is, you know, more stable than Brazil right now, but not that far off. I get what you're saying, yeah. You know, yeah. you just be smart. Don't be an idiot, you know? Like, be aware of your surroundings and don't dress like someone dramatically different from a different country and, you know, just don't be an idiot. So I went out there and uh, I wanted to live in another country. I got burned up from Call of Duty, you know, after Call of Duty Ghosts. And Brazil was a great place to go because uh, it was less expensive than L.A. if I was not going to be working. And that was the plan was to just kind of take some time off, relax. And I also uh, picked up Brazilian jiu-jitsu when I was working on like maybe COD 4. And so I was training Brazilian jiu-jitsu on and off throughout all those years and wanted to train in Brazil at some point. And so, yeah, just went out there and I'm now engaged. I met my fiance out there as well. So Congratulations. Yeah. So that's that's happening. And did you speak Portuguese? Did you speak Portuguese before you went there, or have you learned that, or you picked it up? Uh, I I'm like intermediate now. You know, I I only really did maybe a couple of months of formal class, and then most of it was probably learned downstairs at the Boteco, drinking watery beer with old people. It's the best way to learn. Yeah, I mean, it's like I could pay you know online for you know hundreds of dollars, or I could. Get this one dollar or dollar fifty beer, and buy this person a dollar fifty beer, and just hang out and learn how people actually talk to each other. Yeah, and you, you and your fiance, do you guys speak in English or do you like dabble in? Does she speak Portuguese? Yeah, she does. Yeah. At first, we were kind of half and half. Um, yeah, Portuguese, but and but at first, it's more half and half because I, I was like my Portuguese was better for was like better than her English for a while. And then because of that, we switched to just doing English. And then she ended up coming to the States and also did like, she's getting her bachelor's at Full Sail, but she also um, studied English for like six months just to get it more fluent. And so now we're all English and her English is way better than my Portuguese. I, um, I, my girlfriend and I, we speak Spanish, but I'm like very hesitant to like even change that. And sometimes she's like, oh, can we speak in English? And we do, I'd always respond to her in English when she speaks to me in english but at the same time i'm very hesitant to make that change because i know if i do then it's just the habit you get into and then i'm like oh it's it's tough it's tough once you make that change yeah and portuguese it's almost like like drunk spanish is what it sounds like yeah <laughs> it is my friend once said it's kind of a bit like if like spanish and russian had a kid it would be like portuguese and i, I can hear that it's like i don't speak russian but i hear that kind of like that that influence that my yeah. friend said the way that people speak, I guess, in a sense, is you know not necessarily the words, but there is this intonation that kind of could remind you of Russian at some point. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but how did you get on to starting your own VR company? How did uh, Doghead Simulations come about? So um, we st- I met with um, a friend of mine that I met through Full Sail, uh, Albert Perez. He was also in the, the Full Sail Hall of Fame, and so every year we would go back to the university and do talks for the students, and we would see each other in a chat. And we realized we were both going to be at Gamescom in Germany, in Cologne. So we're like, hey, let's hang out while we're out there. I was doing consulting for a video game slash film school, and he was out there, I think, for HTC, because he was a senior prototyper on the HTC Vive a VR headset. And so we met out there, and we're like, 
we're at a French restaurant in Cologne and we're like, hey, you want to leave your company? I want to work in VR with, with some ideas. Let's start brainstorming. And so we came up with this idea of like, hey, you could actually teach somebody to be a bartender in VR quite easily. You get your two controllers, you know, you're picking up bottles, you're pouring, you're learning how much to pour, you're getting good at the pours, all that kind of stuff. And then as it evolved, it kind of evolved um, instead of being like a serious bartender training game, it became bear tender which was a bartending game where you're a bear and various animal clientele enter your bar and they slowly get more and more wasted as you decide, do I cut this, you know, grill off? Do I keep pouring another Jack and Coke, you know, and stuff's just going crazy. And so we're trying to work on this and I'm in Rio, two streets from a favela, like five megabit internet. And he's in Seattle and doing video conferencing just wasn't cutting it. And we're like, hey, what if we could meet in VR? It's like, cool, yeah, that, that would be cool. And the thing about VR is it doesn't use any video. So there's no video bandwidth. So you can have a bunch of people in VR communicating and not have the limitations of having a bunch of high-res videos. And so he networked us together. We got and we we're like, whoa, this is cool. Like I see your head moving because we had these avatars like hands and a head and it was following the actual movements of our hands and our head. You know, that's being sent over the internet. And we're like, whoa, this is so much better than doing video conferencing because we feel like we're actually present with each other. Basically at, at that point it was it was three of us. It was Albert, me, and uh, Matt Chacon, our CEO. And and Matt and Matt was the one that kind of pushed us towards, hey, why don't you guys try to do something that works with like, you know, stand up meetings, like agile stand up meetings in VR or something. And that's kind of how that branched out like that. We recently had a I had a guest on Kane Tietzel. He's an Australian um, VR CEO. And uh, we were discussing the, the possibilities of VR. They focused on more like cinematic experiences. But just from like um, speaking with experts in this industry, this seems like a technology which is going to be so enjoyable on so many levels and also so educational as well. And it seems like uh, we're really on the precipice of stepping into literally a new virtual world. Yeah, it's, it's going to be one of those things that is just common in everyday life. You know, once it gets more comfortable, cheaper and better, um, there's just so many uses, tons of uses. Yeah. And I know one of your uses that you're working on at the moment is to help uh, fight human trafficking. Would you be able to explain a little bit about how Doghead Simulations is um, using VR to fight human trafficking? Yeah, so I was doing a panel in Orlando about a year or so ago, and I met Dr. Brooke Bella, who's the co-founder of More to Life. And she approached me with an issue saying that there's, there's a problem with foster kids, with human trafficking, you know, kids that have gotten out of their situation have been adopted, where you might have like, for instance, African-American kid in South Central Los Angeles gets adopted when he's like, you know, eight or nine or something by parents in Utah. And if you've ever, I don't know how familiar you are with the US, but Utah and, and South Central LA are about as, about as different as you can get, right? And so what happens is when you have a kid who's out in a place like Utah, they can't find any therapists that can identify with this kid from a cultural standpoint. And there's also things like when you're doing face-to-face -face therapy you know people even when they don't try are judging things based off like what clothing are you wearing and all these other things right and so she was like could we use vr to kind of bridge the gap the distance gap between therapist and victim it was like easily for sure and i was like in fact not only can we do that but i'm 99% sure that if we do like some kind of test or study, we're going to find out that every like pretty much all of them are going to open up more in VR versus face to face. And this is just from my experience of, of interacting in our software roomy and interacting with other social VR programs. Even like, for instance, if I'm doing a demo in VR, you know, I'll dance sometimes. I would never do that you know, with a bunch of business people like dancing around, hey, check out our software, you know, because you feel like you can escape the social situation. You just take this headset off your head and your, 
you know, so you feel a little more loose. And so when we, we went to Miami, we actually filmed the whole experience, uh, putting together a small little documentary. And yeah, exactly what we expected. Every single victim came out saying that they felt more open, that they felt more at ease about talking about their issues. Because to them, they see themselves, they're like immersed in what looks like kind of a video game world, but it feels real. And they're seeing an avatar, a 3D avatar made of polygons, but they're hearing a real voice and the hands and the head are actually one-to-one moving in their actual body language. So they're getting human and human aspects from this communication that makes it feel like, oh, I can talk to this person. But there's, I guess, like enough left out, you know, enough uh, information left out that people feel more free to be open. That's excellent. Do you know, like, what's the progress with this project? I know you said you tested it. How far away is it from, like, um, becoming, a, um, uh, I suppose, more commonly used? Uh, we're getting closer. So... We're going to have a trailer by December and then hopefully have the actual film done by early next year, uh, maybe even late this year. Yeah, basically the idea right now is more to life. They're going to set up maybe like four or five locations around the U.S. where people can come and basically just set up appointments to talk to a therapist, but do it in VR. Uh, It feels more anonymous. So we're looking at like New York, you know, maybe Dallas, Atlanta, Seattle, L.A., you know, something like that. And so um, More Life is going to run with this VR eval program, which is being created, basically how to, how to evaluate people inside of virtual reality. And they're going to kind of be doing that. You know, we're, obviously we make the technology and the software, but they're the ones with the connections to all the anti-human trafficking organizations and whatnot. So I'm pretty excited and I'll have to send you the trailer once it's done. Yeah, yeah, please do. I mean, it sounds really promising. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what good it can do. But other than this project you're working on, what else do you have coming up for the future? You got any other upcoming projects that you've got planned? Uh, right now, just focusing on Doghead. You know, having a startup is more than a full-time job, so you got to stay focused on that. Everything else is just non-work related, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> what other things is Doghead working on at the moment? Do you have any like particular interesting projects? Just rooming. Yeah, just just roomy. I mean, it's very rare to have a startup, you know, work on more than one app because you have so little resources. You have to focus on one just to make it good. So yeah, right now, just focus on roomy. There's so many opportunities, like so many uses for it. I mean, pretty much anyone that uses video conferencing can use this and have a better experience. So it's hard to limit ourselves just to education or enterprise people because lots of people have different ideas. I mean, Harvard uses us to have actual Egyptology classes inside a pyramid with like students in China. So the students in China in VR, students in Boston in VR, and they're inside this pyramid, this 3D pyramid, and they're learning about the pyramid from a PhD in Egyptology. And that, that's amazing. There's, there's no way that's not going to be the future of education. There's no way. Yeah, it definitely seems way more interactive rather than just like standing in front of or sitting in front of a board reading something or being shown something to actually feel like you're there and to be there. That, that yeah. sounds like the best way to learn. And for the cost of a couple textbooks, you can buy a headset, you know? So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got to say, I hope, hopefully one day, maybe I can even host this podcast with virtual reality. Maybe if we do a, a check-in at some time, we do another call, then uh, maybe we could try out virtual reality and yeah. Yeah. If you get a headset, reach out and maybe we could do a follow-up. Sounds good, man. That's all my questions for today. But honestly, you, you sound like you've, uh, you're working on some really good stuff and you've definitely worked on some good stuff in the past. I know that tried and tested. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining me today, Chance. Appreciate it, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. If people do want to like uh, stay in contact with you or follow you or just keep up to date with what you're doing, what's the best way to do that? Do you have uh, social media they can follow? Yeah. Well, uh, we've got our website, dogheadsimulations.com. Um, I'm on Twitter 
at Chance Glasgow, G-L-A-S-C-O. Chance, just like the word. And uh, that's pretty much the best way. If you want to email me, chance at dogheadsimulations.com. But uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter and check out our website. You can download us on Steam or from our website. So thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Weird Wide Web. According to the BBC, Labour has promised to give every home and business in the UK free full fibre broadband by 2030, if it wins the general election. The party would nationalise part of BT, which stands for British Telecom, to deliver the policy and introduce a tax on tech giants to help pay for it. Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell told the BBC the visionary £20 billion plan would ensure that broadband reaches the whole country. We're falling behind our global competitors. I'm following the example. Take Korea, South Korea, for example. What South Korea did is exactly this. They set up a state company and they rolled out their full fibre broadband over a 10-year programme. And you know, they've covered nearly 97% of their country. We now have about 10 to 12 percent. We're falling behind. Japan the same. Stockholm has actually done this as well, all through Stockholm, through the local municipality. That is our show. Thank you as always for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you want to listen to more of our episodes, you can find us on Spotify and you can follow us there. You can also find us on iTunes or anywhere else you listen to podcasts for that matter. You can also go to thesociable.co where you'll find all our podcasts and fantastic articles for you to read. Thanks. And until next time, have a great day. Hold up. 